Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Year of Polygamy podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am excited to be podcasting for this special October 2020 Halloween special with my good friend, Claire Barris. Claire, can you say hello? Hello, everyone. So we had talked about this. Gosh, how long ago did you come up with this idea for this? You know, I think it was after uh, Sunstone last year. Uh, And uh, yeah, I had been working on some of this stuff and I thought, you know, this would really be fun for Halloween, but we we really didn't have time uh, to get one ready um, for last year. So here we are doing it now. Well, it's great because I have long wanted to do things for Halloween because I love Halloween. It's my, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I, I love it so much. I love spooky things. I like all of the nostalgia and I like scary stories in Mormonism and scary stories in, um, in our larger culture. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Why don't you kind of give us an introduction? Oh, and actually for those who don't remember you, Claire's been on the podcast many times, but Claire, can you say uh, a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I dabble around in uh, history a bit. Uh, I do a thing called Today in Mormon History that's kind of a daily set of interesting tidbits about Mormon history. You can go to that at uh, todayinmormonhistory.com. Um, I've got a couple of articles published, and and uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, and let me point out that if you're just listening, you may want to switch over to the audio. I've got some really cool images uh, that will uh, help uh, help illustrate this. So and we're gonna we're so, gonna embed that in the site and probably put it on YouTube. Great, that sounds great. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna talk about one of the three laymans that the Smith family uh, had. So. When, uh, when, well, first of all, what is a layman? Uh, a layman is a, a parchment that is used in ceremonial magic and it has uh, symbols and wording on it that are designed to help empower the magician that's using those. Uh, when Joseph Smith was uh, involved in folk magic, uh, when he was uh, in the 1820s and uh, he and his father would uh, would be involved in what was called treasure seeking. Uh, the, he would use the uh, seer stone that was used to translate the Book of Mormon was also used to try to locate buried treasure and then they would do uh, rituals to try to control a spirit that was guarding the treasure that was buried. Joseph Smith would look in his seer stone and watch the, the movements of the uh, of the spirit. And Joseph Smith Sr., at least sometimes, according to one account, would would uh, you know, draw the magic circle and and maybe uh, make some incantations of uh, sorts. And so there's uh, over 70 affidavits from different people about Joseph Smith's involvement in folk magic in the uh, late uh, 18-teens and, and, and then into the 1820s. Uh, yeah, and can we talk about that just for a minute? I think Brian Buchanan and I have talked about this on the Sunso Mormon History podcast that, that we do, where uh, some of the original, and maybe you'll talk about this too, but some of the original angels uh, that Joseph Smith saw, he first saw as treasure spirits, right? That's how he was first contextualizing the story. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, the earliest accounts we have, trying to separate, it, yeah, there's some, uh, there's an interesting transition over time as the story is told. Yeah, and the guardian spirits uh, later become uh, more angelic and more uh, acceptable to our modern sensibilities. And so there, the, there's this looming question, what were those original encounters uh, about and uh it's a wonderful question to to dive into. Um, You know, we have another clue uh, from uh, Lucy Mack Smith. Uh, She 
When she was writing her family memoir, the earliest draft that we have, in there she mentions uh, magic circles, uh, the faculty of Abrac and soothsaying, uh, just before she begins talking about uh, the Moroni encounters. So that kind of ties into this uh, question of, uh, of treasure seeking and, uh, and Moroni and the plates. Uh, so when, uh, when Hiram Smith was murdered, along with Joseph Smith in 1844, Hiram left behind a number of, of items to, uh, to his descendants and included in those were a, a dagger that had uh, some symbols uh, inscribed in them. And there were uh, three parchments, uh, which are also called laymans. And uh, these laymans, uh, we think probably came from Joseph Smith Sr. And so what we're gonna be doing today is talking about one of these three laymans. And this layman is called the St. Peter Bind Them layman. So we will dive into that. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a little sharper image and you can see there's text in four quadrants and then there's uh, a number of curious uh, symbols. And uh, this, uh, and I need to mention this, this was provided, this kind of a cleaned up sharper image was provided by Jonathan Streeter. Uh, we, we don't have really clean images of these, and I'm hoping that it won't be long before we get better images of these. Now again, if you're just listening to the audio, basically we're looking at an old parchment that has symbols on it, a pentagram, three circles, and sort of a compass looking thing with a scroll all over it. Yes. I'm sorry, yeah. script all over it. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's uh, one, two, three, four, five symbols. And, and we'll describe each of those uh, symbols and then four, four quadrants with text. Uh, so the first symbol, and Lindsay, what would you say? It's kind of a star, kind of looks a bit like a star, except the bottom right is kind of whacked out a bit. Yeah, it's like a pentagram with one side that is, uh, extends into a triangle. Yeah, yeah. And, and inside there are... Um, You'll notice there are words. Uh, there's uh, tet, and then tra, and then gram, and then uh, gramma, and then ton. And th these are pieces of the word tetragrammaton. Uh, tetragrammaton is a word for the four letters that make up the name Jehovah in Hebrew. So when they're talking about the, the letters, uh, which it's like a yod, hey, vav, hey. Those four letters are called the tetragrammaton. And in magic, uh, the magician tries to invoke God in as many ways as possible. And, and that gives more power to the magician. And so this is one way to, uh, to invoke uh, uh, deity is by using the... Uh, by, by referencing the tetragrammaton in this symbol. Amazing. Very spooky already. We're leading with this sort of black magic, even though it wouldn't have been seen as that at the time. Although if my Mormon mother were to see it, she would think it was black magic. Yeah, and it, it you know, it, it, it's an interesting line. You know, when I, when I grew up, um, there was a very black and white view of, things that were Christian and Mormon, and then kind of just devilish, evil things. And there was no, and, and as I've looked more into this, a lot of this is highly Christianized uh, stuff and uh, that the magician is trying to invoke and, uh, and trying to communicate with good angels and overcome evil. And so it's, it's more complicated. So when we say, you know, oh, that's occult, that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It just means it's different, and uh, different isn't isn't bad. And in fact, there's uh, today it's very popular for people to uh, to practice different kinds of uh, Wiccan uh, religion and do these kinds of things. And they they find a lot of uh, satisfaction out of out of this kind of stuff. Okay, so 
This is another one of the layman's. This is the holiness to the Lord layman. And the reason it's uh, called that is because if you see right across the top, it, it says holiness to the Lord right on the border. Okay, can I explain it a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so what this looks like to me, it's it's a rectangle, almost tapestry-looking scroll um, laid out in front of me like a placemat. On the left side, it's sort of dark with a compass in the left corner and a sort of egg-shaped compass or scale in the left corner. On the right side, it's lighter side, so it represents dark and light, and we have a round compass, and below it, the, what did you call it again? A tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. So that's what's in that corner. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And and there's a lot of subtle detail and in here. And this is a really fun one. We're we're focusing on uh, the Saint Peter bind them layman, but I wanted to show this because this does have uh, a um, a tetragrammaton symbol in it also, um, and you can see the different words, uh, tetragrammaton. And then in the middle, you can see the word Adonai, which means Lord. And so this is uh, another example of a tetragrammaton symbol. Um, let's see. Sorry, I am, uh, yeah, Lindsay, you're seeing the tetragrammaton symbol right now. Uh -huh. right? Okay, um, this is, uh, so we have another example of the Tetragrammaton symbol in a different book written by Ebenezer Sibley. Uh, it's called The New and Complete Illustrations of Celestial Sciences of Astrology in four volumes. It was published in 1784, it was quite popular. And uh, this is one of the, uh, uh, plates. It's called a plate or illustrations in there. And this is a, it's a very rich page with a lot of, of different magical symbols. Uh, there's a, a magic circle up in a, in a square with multiple circles and different uh, lettering. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, as Lindsay described, kind of compass looking symbols. There's a knife. Uh, there's uh, a uh, six-sided star. Uh, a um, triangle inside of a circle, and and then there's also um, a tetragrammaton symbol, and uh, and so this is another source of where we see that symbol, and we don't see this a lot, but this is one of the places we see it. Now I want to show you all three of the ones we just looked at side by side. Uh, we've got the one on the left is in the Saint Peter bind them. And then the second one is in the Saint, uh, it's in the Holiness to the Lord, layman, and the one on the right is from the uh, Celestial Sciences, and you can see that the uh, the last two are the same, uh, but the uh, the one in the um, Saint Peter bind them is a little bit different, and so that's just kind of curious. So they're not always the same. All right, let's let's move on to uh, the next symbol. Um, Lindsay, what do you see? <laughs> this is well, a little bit. Not, it's not very clear. This. Yeah. No, it's it's a close up of like an oval. To me, it's it's shaped sort of horizontally. It almost looks like a lima bean on it. It's got little carvings that look like almost a Christian cross. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. On the right side is uh, is it's what's called a Maltese cross, and uh, it's it's kind of hard to see. We there's some other examples of this, but this is what the one looks like on the Saint Peter bind them lane. I feel like you're giving me a polygamy Rorschach test right now. It's like I see a flaming sword and an angel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, exactly. This is a uh, uh, and there is the word over on the left, and it's it's printed. Uh, sideways but there's the word omega or, or no that's a that's on the right side and then on the left is at uh, agla we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here's here's the uh symbol from uh the holiness to the lord manuscript and this is a lot clearer so you can see this uh, maltese cross on the top 
on the far right, and then you can see the word Omega written down across it. And uh, you see these kind of three bars uh, going down that are connected together. And then you can see the word uh, Agla, A-G-L-A. Uh, Agla is, it's an acronym for uh, the words uh, Atah Gibor Li Olam Adonai, which means Thou art mighty forever, O Lord. And we see uh, Agla a lot in magic. That, that shows up uh, all over the place. Uh, here's another image. Uh, this is uh, from a manuscript um, that was found. And, uh, and it's the clearest image that, that we have. Uh, so, uh, Yeah. Um, oh, it was, yeah, I was going to say, there's no, uh, this was not published anywhere that we know of before the 1820s. This first shows up in, in 1820, but the English manuscript uh, showed up back in the 1700s. Okay, let's go to the next symbol. Um, what do you, uh, what do you see, Lindsay? It's got those crosses. There's four of them, and they meet in a point at the center with a circle and around them. Okay, great. Yes, and this is on the uh, this is uh, on the Saint Peter bind them. And this is called the Pali Pa symbol. And uh, if you look on the right side, if you tilt your head to the left, do you see the word Pali Pa? Can you see that? Yeah, I can see it. It's in very faint uh, yep. script. Yes. Okay. Um, what does it mean? Are you going to explain what these mean? Yes. Yep. We'll dive into that. Uh, let me show you the, uh, this is what it looks like on the holiness to the Lord layman. And it's very similar. Uh, and uh, it also shows up in another book called uh, The Discovery of Witchcraft, which was published in 1584. And, uh, and here is, you can see uh, the second this is a page with three different symbols with descriptions of what the symbols mean. Uh, the polypa symbol there in the middle uh, is the symbol of the second angel, second good angel of ceremonial magic. So uh, in ceremonial magic, at least in this particular vein of ceremonial magic, there are seven good angels and seven evil angels. Uh, that are involved in in magic and there are symbols that we only have three of the symbols of the, the of the first three good angels and uh, and we have a description of what those are about this this uh, description says among other things that uh, that this angel uh, is one of the powers accompanied accompanying such as our virgins uh, he teacheth all the names and powers of angels and give holy charms against the assaults of evil demons. So that's what the angel Polypa does. And this is the symbol of the angel Polypa, the second good angel of ceremonial magic. Is that, is that making sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right. Now, it turns out that in the uh, book Celestial Sciences, which we also uh, referenced earlier, we also have the polypa symbol there. Here's a close-up of it. And um, you can see that the, the crosses are fitched. That is, one of the arms of the cross comes to a point. Now, both of the Smith family layman's have a fitched cross also. In Sibley's, uh, in the Celestial Science uh, book uh, and this Discovery of Witchcraft book, uh, those are the only two books known uh, that have the uh, polypa symbol. That's fascinating. Okay. Let's go on to the uh, next set of symbols. Uh, these are the uh, called the Seals of the Earth in the St. Peter bind them layman. Um, so, and we'll talk about those. Uh, here they are in the holiness to the Lord layman. 
And uh, here is uh, a third layman, the third layman that the Smith family had. And uh, how would you describe this, Lindsay? It looks like a clock-like symbol with a, a sort of scroll of words around it in circular. <laughs> I didn't explain that very well. It's just words around a circle. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the words kind of wrap around and around and around, getting closer and closer to this this symbol, which is one of the uh, seals of the earth. And then there's a couple of symbols down at the bottom um, also. Uh, and this is the uh, Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah layman uh, that's called. And, and you can see in the upper right and the upper left, Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah is repeated uh, three times on both sides. Um, this is the, uh, probably the oldest of the Smith family laymans. It uh, seems to, it's a lot more faded. And this is actually a reconstruction that someone did. They kind of traced it. Uh, the original, if you look at it, it's, it's really hard to make anything out. So as we talk about what this means and how this works, are you going to talk about how they use these as well? Uh, yeah, well, and some of how they use some of these is not exactly clear, but these particular symbols, the seals of the earth, uh, yeah, we will, let's talk about that right now. Um, so in in the book discovery of witchcraft um it it has the symbols and it describes them so at the top it says these figures are called the seals of the earth with without which no spirit will appear except thou have them with thee so if you want spirits to appear to you this is how you go about doing that according to uh, the discovery of witchcraft the, the first symbol, the symbol on the left, uh, the text says, Whoso beareth this sign about him, all spirits will do him homage. So, so it's about power. If you have this symbol, the spirits have to do your bidding. On the right, it says, Whoso beareth this sign about him, let him fear no foe, but fear God. So it sounds like a, a protective symbol uh, from potential foes. Uh, I would venture probably evil spirits. Um, would, it, it probably is a protection. So this is to this is for invoking spirits and then trying to control them and to protect yourself from the danger of, of any uh, spirits that may want to do you harm. Okay, so this was seen as some sort of I don't know how to use it, spell or prayer even? Yeah, if, the, if the symbols are worn about the person uh, or on a layman that the person is carrying, then it gives them that power. It's kind of like a talisman. Uh, it, the symbols themselves uh, give power to the magician and help the magician accomplish uh, his, his purposes, which is usually to summon uh, spirits, take control of them, and then try to either get information from the spirits or get or get some something the spirits to do something for you. Gotcha. Okay, so these also show up in um, in the Celestial Sciences book. You can see those two symbols up there. And so, so that's kind of the the seals of the earth. Um, so, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we've so that's all of the symbols of the uh, Saint Peter bind them uh, parchment, and so just to kind of summarize, uh, up at the top uh, is the tetragrammaton symbol, which is uh, the tetragrammaton references the letters of the name of of Jehovah or Yahweh, and uh, and that. Uh, and so there's that. And then on the left and on the right are the two seals of the earth that we just talked about, which are used in uh, to get spirits to appear to people, to then control the spirits, and to be protected from the spirits. The uh, symbol in the middle 
uh, is the Omega Agla symbol. This is uh, still quite mysterious and we don't really know. Uh, the, uh, we know Agla is a reference uh, to deity. The Omega symbol could be something, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so I don't know. And then the other symbolism on it is unknown. We don't know what that means. Symbol at the bottom is the uh, polypath. That's the circle with the crosses, kind of point, four crosses pointing towards the center of the circle. And this references the uh, second good angel of ceremonial magic. So. Okay, that, and to reiterate, would you, what, what is your best guess at how the family used this, if at all? Well, let's, we will get to that. Uh, towards the end. Um, gotcha. The text will give us some clues. And uh, there's actually um, a backside to this. So it doesn't have as many symbols, but uh, Lindsay, what do you, how would you describe this? Well, the paper looks folded into four corners and in the center of the paper, very center is a dot with a, I don't know, some sort of almost like a bull head with horns. Uh, drawing oh, yeah, with yeah. another drawing around it? I'm not sure. Okay. And there's some text in the four corners. Um, yeah. And then there's some wording right below that kind of weird symbol in the middle. Uh, let's let's dive in uh, and we'll look at the a close-up of the symbol. This is a the Nalga symbol. The angel Nalga this is the symbol associated. And if you look right below it, you can see the word Nalga um, down there, uh, rather faint. Uh, the symbol also shows up in the holiness to the Lord layman. Um, and if you notice right above the uh, Nalga angel symbol, uh, you see the letters IHS, which typically stand for in hoc signo, uh, meaning in this sign, and th this is what um, Constantine said when he had a vision of the cross and became converted to Christianity. He said, "In this sign, conquer," and and so that might be what that refers to. Um, it also shows up in the book, uh, the discovery of witchcraft. Uh, that we've talked about, uh, and here's here's what it says, or here's an excerpt of what it says. Uh, Nalga appearing to those who are devoted to the knowledge of magic, teaching how to exercise infernal witchcraft without danger, and in uh, and in despite to the devils, he must be sought by hours, minutes, constellations, privacy, and blood, etc. He hath a bow bent in his hand and a crown of gold upon his head, and this is his character. So this is the uh, third uh, third angel of ceremonial magic, third good angel of ceremonial magic. Um, here's uh, the image in Celestial Sciences, uh, how it's depicted, the book Celestial Sciences. And this, this uh, text is a little different than in Discovery of Witchcraft. This says, uh, this third is Nalga, devoted to the protection of those who are assaulted by evil spirits or witches, and whose minds are sunk in fearful and melancholy apprehension of the assaults of the devil and the power of death. His appearance is represented as perfectly celestial, having a crown of gold upon his head, with a shield and a spear in his hands for the protection of those over whom he presides. The following is his magical character, which is worn around the neck as a preservation against witchcraft and suicide. So that's, uh, that's Nalga, the angel Nalga, uh, the symbol for that. Any questions, Lindsay, or? Or should we move on? I mean, I have a, like, my questions are like, well, how did they get it? Where did this come from? I want more background on this. Yeah, I, me too. And, and these things just kind of disappear. 
Uh, a lot of these symbols are only contained in those two books, uh, Celestial Sciences and The Discovery of Witchcraft. And, uh, and sometimes they show up in manuscripts. We really don't have a lot of information and I, I, I wish we did. That's great. All Keep right. going. Show us what you got. Okay. Uh, so this is, um, let's talk about the transcription, uh, the text on the reverse side. So uh, as I, there's two possible texts that I see as I look at it. It says either uh, bind evil doors from me, or it might say bind evil doers from me. Okay. And it's repeated four times in each of the corners uh, of the text. So this is starting to give some clues about what this uh, this might be about. And binding either evil passageways or binding evil doers uh, from the, the whoever possesses uh, this layman. All right, let's look at the uh, transcription on the print side. Um, and, uh, and I have to mention here, this transcription was provided to me by Johnny Stevenson. Uh, Johnny is a, a historian and he uh, passed away, what, two months ago, I think, Lindsay. Um, and so, yeah, he did. He, unfortunately, we, we were able to get him on the Sunstone history podcast with John Dinger, the desert drama season one that we did, where he talks about poisoning in Nauvoo, but. Yeah, I was so sad to hear about his passing. He's lovely. Yes, great guy. I, I didn't know him that long, but I met him actually at Sunstone uh, in 2019. And he's just a wonderful guy. And then we've communicated and he shared information with me. And I, I, uh, it's unfortunate. But, but we, we get to celebrate uh, a little bit of his uh, research here. He transcripted this and it's kind of hard uh, when you start digging, you know, looking carefully at this. And so I'm, I'm glad he provided this. Uh, so we're gonna look at uh, the two, the first two quadrants on the left side. And these are actually uh, based on uh, Numbers uh, chapter six, verses 24 through 27. And it's a revelation given to Moses and it provides instructions to Aaron on how to bless the children of Israel. The thing that's interesting in this text is the wording originally said, uh, you know, the Lord bless thee uh, multiple times, but it's changed to me. So, so instead of blessing the children of Israel, this text has been changed to bless the magician or the, the bearer of this layman. So let me, let me read what it says. It says, uh, the Lord bless me and keep me. The Lord make his face shine upon me and be gracious unto me. The Lord lift up his countenance upon me and give me peace. And then if you look very closely in the upper left quadrant, you can see the four letters uh, of, of Yahweh, um, the tetragrammaton. Uh, so it says Yahweh in Hebrew uh, right below that. And then in the lower left quadrant, it says, and they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them, Jehovah. The word Jehovah was also added. That's not in, the, um, in numbers. So that's, that's the text on the left side. And it sounds like it's a kind of an empowerment to the, the owner of the parchment or the layman to, to get the God's blessing, his name, uh, his face shining on you. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, even taking the name of, uh, of the Lord on to the magician. All right. And again, That's, if you are just listening to the audio, we do have this. We're going to try to get this, uh, the visual up on the website as well. Okay. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, now, uh, let's look at quadrants, uh, the third and fourth quadrants on the right side. And um, it says, this is what it says. St. Peter, bind them. St. Peter, bind them. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, may every hair of their head be as heavy as a millstone that desires to set fire or destroy this body. Fail, act, fail, act, fail, act, catch them. So that's, it's a pretty bizarre and pretty chilling, uh, pretty chilling uh, phrase. Um, it almost sounds like a curse. It does, yes. Yeah, St. Peter is being invoked um, and Jesus, and then, you know, they want every hair of their head to be as heavy as a millstone uh, that desires to set fire or destroy this body. And then it has um, the weird text, fail act, repeated three times, and then catch them at, at the end. So, all right, let's let's try to uh, see if we can make some sense of this. So remember the earlier text was in Numbers chapter six. The text immediately preceding uh, the first and second quadrant that we talked about earlier are discuss a Nazarite initiation that occurs. And it's actually related to fire and to hair. Um, so I think I'm guessing this at least is partially related to the text of number six. So at the beginning of the chapter, the Nazarite enters into an initi uh, initiation thing called a vow of separation. And during that time, they have to abstain from wine and strong drink. Uh, they are not allowed to cut their hair. But if they come into, if they become unclean by being in the presence of anything that is dead, then they have to cut their hair off and offer uh, and then offer sacrifices to become clean again. Now, at the end of their dedication period or their vow of separation, they undergo a ritual. They shave off their hair and then they uh, they burn their hair in a peace offering fire. So here you have uh, kind of a purification ritual that the Nazarite goes through that ends with burning their hair, basically. And, uh, and in the, in the text, uh, on the, the layman, uh, you know, they, they talk about that may every hair of their head be as heavy as a millstone that desires to set fire or destroy this body. That, that's a clue, I think, into it. It's not a clear tie-in, but, but it seems to be related. So what's your interpretation of that? Do you have one? Well, the other thing that jumped out to me, Lindsay, is that um, the word millstone. So there's a text in Matthew 18 that talks about, um, that talks about a millstone, like any, well, let me see if I have the text. Um, yeah, it says, um, this is the text in Matthew. Whoso shall offend one of one of these little ones, uh, children, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And then a little bit later, it says, it's better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet uh, to be cast into everlasting fire. So. So you have this fire and millstone theme going on uh, in Matthew, um, and and the idea of children uh, being offended. So, um, I I couldn't find any instances of fail act, uh, fail act text anywhere in the magic you know, books or uh, parchments, um, but I did find several instances of the phrase catch them and they were all tied to uh, witches trying to catch children and they would catch the children uh, and then put them in their cauldron and the 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 whatever was cooked up was uh, would give them the witches more power uh, particularly the power to fly so here, here's a 
here's a little phrase, or here's a section out of the discovery of witchcraft that talks about catch them. Uh, and remember, we have the, the, the millstone theme is about children. And we have uh, this, uh, and we have this theme of children occurring at least a couple of times in discovery of witchcraft. Um, so it says this, it says, regarding the plain bargain that they say is made betwixt the devil and the witch, uh, newly initiated women ride in the air and accomplish all their desires. So as if there is any children unbaptized or not guarded with the sign of the cross or horizons, then the witches may and do catch them from their mother's sides in the night or out of their cradles or otherwise kill them with their ceremonies and have burial, steal them out of their graves and seek them in a cauldron until their flesh be made potable of the thickest whereof they makest ointments whereby they ride in the air but the thinner portion they put into flagons whereof they drinketh observing certain ceremonies immediately becometh a master or rather a mistress in this practice and faculty so that's a rather gruesome yeah it's all a lot darker like i said it sounds like a curse it doesn't sound like this is a happy sort of magical thing no so uh uh there's michael quinn who we we owe a remarkable uh, uh we owe a ton to for his research uh in the book mormonism and the magic world view and uh he noted that the text of this has a German influence. It sounds like it's translated from German. And, uh, it, and in 1820 in America, uh, up in Pennsylvania, there was a book of magic published by uh, the, uh, some, one of the Pennsylvania Dutch up there. And it's very common. They have what are called binding spells that invoke St. Peter uh, to bind uh, bind thieves. It's it's to bind thieves that are trying to steal stuff. So, for example, one of them calls on St. Peter and then tries to make it so that the, the thief's feet get stuck to the floor until they can be apprehended, for example. Uh, Clinton Bartholomew, who is a friend of mine and a, a really a, a great historian, he wonders if this St. Peter bind them parchment may have been made by the smiths after they had uh, gotten the plates and yeah, this was and there were i don't know if you remember there were money diggers uh, fellow money diggers that were trying to steal the plates from joseph smith and he speculates that perhaps joseph smith and joseph senior made this to try to bind those would-be thieves from being able to take the plates it's an interesting theory oh that's fascinating so that's kind of the text, uh, and that's about as much as I know about it, Lindsay. Okay, so um, can I still just ask some questions? Absolutely. Let's let's dig into Joseph Smith's family's uh, practice of magic a little bit more because I think it's it's fair game to speculate if the Smiths actually used some of this stuff because we know that they were using magical uh, symbols all the time, right? Um, well, we know that, so, uh, the, one of the neighbors, um, Willard Chase records, uh, one of the examples of the Smiths where, where, uh, Joseph Senior draws a magic circle and, uh, and then he utters some words while Joseph Smith is looking in a seer stone at the spirit that is, uh, controlling the, the, uh, uh, the, the buried treasure. We, we have uh, Lucy Mack Smith, who writes in her earliest draft of her family memoir about the faculty of Abrac, magic circles, and soothsaying. So, so we have these references, uh, and there's a lot of other references to magic in general. Um, I don't know about specific symbols other than these were what we're looking at now. No, I just are, mean like the Jupiter talisman and... Oh. 
Uh, yes. Just, I mean, even the even the early temples and current temples, we use these symbols. And and why that's important, I think, for the non-Mormon listeners to pay attention to is you have to understand that my generation of Mormonism saw this stuff as devilish. This was, you know, I'm a child of the 80s with the satanic scare and the occult scare. And so all of this was seen as really, really awful, evil even. And yet um, a lot of people don't realize that our early church organizers and founders, especially Joseph Smith's family, was really into all this stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you mentioned the uh, the talisman. Uh, the talisman that Joseph Smith had called the Jupiter Talisman was uh, is reported to have been on his, you know, in his pocket, I presume, or on his body when he was assassinated. And it kind, kind of came down through the bitumen line. Uh, the, these parchments uh, came down through the the Hiram Smith line. So we, we kind of have a double uh, double evidence of magic items being passed down from the Smith family. And I would say that uh, magic got passed down to the saints as well. It got rooted out sort of towards the end of the 19th century, but I was, you know, I've been researching Southern Utah history and I run into an article where, or I think it's a sermon where P- Parowan um, has the most, like everyone's using ser- seer stones in the ward in Parowan. And it's it, like I said, for my generation, it's so weird to think about that. Yeah, that's yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. We grew up same thing. Uh, magic is bad, <laughs> but here you have Joseph Smith. Uh, I believe uh this preceded, this was integral, I think, to him uh, going on to get the plates and then to and to Mormonism. Uh, I don't think that, I don't know that this would have happened without the magic elements that led him to be looking for buried gold, for example. And then he finds buried gold and he uses his seer stone that he's looking for buried treasure with to also locate the location of the plates. And so... It, it's and, and you have the guardian spirit uh, or Moroni or or you know it's it's hard to draw a line between those, but you, but you have a clear relationship between magic and Joseph Smith, and then you have the symbolism as you mentioned, Lindsay. Good point. Uh, the 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 symbolism in the temples, uh, how masonry later uh, Joseph is highly intrigued by masonry and the rich symbolism in that. And that kind of helps, uh, it kind of feeds into the temple uh, endowment uh, ceremonies. And and uh, and even uh, one of the, two of the sections in the DNC, well, three talk about magic indirectly. Uh, DNC six and eight are about Oliver Cowdery's divining rod. And if you look at the earliest version of DNC uh, six, you find no, maybe it's eight, one of those two, sorry. <laughs> uh, you find that it's talking about the rod of nature, uh, which is a divining rod that uh, the Cowdery's, and Oliver Cowdery's uh, father uh, were part of a group that used divining rods uh, to get revelations through. You have uh, another section in the DNC where Joseph is told to go back to Salem, Massachusetts and try to recover some treasure they go to a house and they try to get that treasure, but they're unable to. So, so you, you, Heber C. Kimball had a rod and he would actually pray uh, to the rod and get answers from the rod. Uh, and so, so you do have this magic stuff that- Well, and we wanna, we wanna kind of like look at that as absurd, but I grew up with a generation that thought this stuff was bad, but we still had the lingering, uh, there's still a sort of a folklore and myth around Nephite gold, that there's Nephite gold buried in the hills out here somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would be interested, you know, for my fundamentalist listeners to look at this, to look at some of these images and see if you guys incorporated any of this into any of your spiritual practices. So if anyone wants to weigh in on that, if you've seen some of these symbols show up in your own, I don't know, interpretations of Mormonism, that'd be really interesting to know. I, I'd love to know that too. I hope you'd share that with me too. Um, and I saw also would ask any, uh, any viewer or listener, if they have any insight into the text um, of this, I would, I'd love to, to know um, 
more about that. So, yeah. Okay, well, perfect. Uh, well, Claire, thank you for doing this, for looking for Halloween sort of to set the spooky mood of weird occult magic practices that the Smiths contain. That's really cool. Do you have anything else you want to say about them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just say that, you know, uh, it, it to us, because Lindsay, as you pointed out, how we were raised to to perceive magic or occult stuff, it, it seems uh, spooky. Uh, to a lot of people, this is a, a, a very relevant and important form of uh, religious practice. And, and so um, that's, uh, it, it's kind of a fun topic to, to talk about at Halloween time. Uh, and I don't know, I hope it, I hope people found this uh, somewhat interesting and, and illuminating. Well, I, I certainly did. And I think that this is, uh, did you, did you mention where they are now? Yeah, the church. So, um, they got passed down from, uh, to the presiding patriarchs of the church, along with Hiram's, uh, clothes that he was murdered in. And uh, it ended up with the last presiding patriarch of the church, Eldred G. Smith, uh, who was, um, who was, and his position was eliminated in the 1970s. If he would have remained uh, the patriarch, he would have been uh, the longest serving general authority in the history of the church. He lived to age 106 and he died just a few years ago. Um, and when he died, these were left to the church. So these are now um, in possession of the church. Fantastic. Well, and I know the Jupiter Talisman is up in the uh, Wilfred Wood Museum. Yeah, I we were there uh, a while back and they we asked about it and they said, well, it's locked in a safe and we don't have the key. So <laughs> we missed I, out. I don't think it. they let people see them anymore. I know that Mike Quinn photographed it for his book, um, which is something you should pick up if you haven't. It's uh, Mormonism in the Magic Worldview by Mike Quinn, where he talks about some of this stuff, but he has a picture of it in there. They just don't let anyone see it anymore. Yeah, and you can go out to eBay and buy a replica of um, Joseph Smith's Jupiter Talisman. And uh, in fact, I, I have one and it's kind of fun to to show people. Um, yeah, and like Lindsay said, uh, if this topic is interesting to you, you definitely want to buy Michael Quinn's uh, Magic Worldview book, and uh, it goes into great detail on all this information. Well, thanks, Claire, for coming on. Claire is such an important part of the Mormon historical world. He, he doesn't brag about this, but he helps so many historians find uh, all kinds of things because you know all kinds of things and you have a great database and I've just been looking at the Juanita Brooks stuff you sent me. So thank you for that. Well, sure, sure. Um, and, and Lindsay, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on. Uh, I always enjoy visiting with you and, and uh, so thanks for having me.